Welcome, everybody. Good morning. My name is Brandon, and I am uh, one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome all of you. Of course, welcome all those that are joining us online as well. Glad you could join us for this summer series that we've been in. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are officially in the state of the NBA World Championship team. You, you got to do better than that, Nuggets fans. Come on. Come on. This is like the first time in ever, right? There we go. We can fill a stadium now. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. No, it's been fascinating to just catch up with how the Nuggets got to the NBA Finals, obviously how they completed their journey of getting the championship. What's been fascinating to me as a sports fan is that their story <laughs> before getting to the finals, no one was believing in them. And then after the NBA finals, now everybody believes in the message that they were portraying for their team. And here's the message that came across. I don't know if you caught this at all through the journey, but they built their championship team through what would be considered in the NBA some very mundane and monotonous processes. All right? Here's what I mean by that. In the NBA, if you don't win quickly, you're out. <laughs> you're out. And the Denver Nuggets sort of modeled a, a, a program and a philosophy and a, and a vision of being able to say that we're going to be patient. We're going to build on something, and we're going to see where this goes. We're going to keep some players for a while. We're going to keep our coach for a while. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, not every franchise, Brandon, gets so lucky to draft the best player in the game. But here's the deal. I would counter with that every franchise can afford to be patient. The Nuggets made that long and steady march to the NBA title, and, and yeah, it was through probably a lot, of, a lot of scenarios. There's a lot of nuance to a championship. You get role players that sort of come into themselves. You get star players that show up. You get the big shot that carries you on to the next game, but they were patient and they built on something, and it's what few organizations in the NBA, if you're familiar with sports, do. They showed the capacity to wait and see if this would work not just chasing that new shiny free agent or that new shiny coach to get some. They worked with the players they had. You know, Nikola Jokic is the best basketball player in the world, but he grew into that role. <laughs> or actually, I should say he grew out of that role, right? Because he was actually a chubby little kid from Serbia when he started in the NBA, and then he just got better. But you even look at uh, the head coach, Michael Malone. And Michael Malone, this is awesome, he had this quote, he said about the Denver Nuggets, for us, there's never been a rushed mentality. And that's been a top-down kind of theme because this coach was given eight years to be with the team. You just, that's unheard of in the National Basketball Association. Now, interestingly enough, when you pair Jokic and when you pair Murray, that were basically the two key cogs of this Nuggets championship team, there's only two current star duos who have played together longer. And that's Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the Golden State Warriors, and it's Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks. Guess who won the two NBA titles before the Nuggets? The Golden State Warriors the year before, the Milwaukee Bucks the year before. It's just interesting when you look at this championship of like, wow, the, the patience that it took, the building that was going on here, there's something to that, and it's why the Nuggets are on the airwaves constantly. How are you feeling about how God is building your story? 
how God is, is, is in your story and what he's doing right now. Because I know there's some individuals that have come in this morning or that are watching online that you're hurting right now. You're hurting in these summer months where everybody's supposed to be on vacations and having fun and making memories. You're in a place where you're dealing with some kind of health issue. You're dealing with some kind of loss that you've experienced. You're, you're wondering where God is in the story, and you feel like maybe your story is way too small for him to care about. Maybe you're in a position right now where you've come into the church this morning, and you're like, you know what? I've tried to be patient, but I am done being patient with God because it seems like everything that I chase down seems to end up insignificant. It seems like it has no power behind it. So I don't even know if God wants to be part of my story. Some of you, you've just reached a place that you sense God doesn't care about you at all. And what if I told you this morning that God is in the process of building something? That God is in the process of, of having you look at him, look to him patiently to wait for what he has for you. That that mundane and that monotonous thing that's going on, that it seems like you keep hitting the wall or that you keep coming up empty or that you keep coming up without your questions answered, maybe there's something he's doing and what you feel like is a small story and he's ready to unlock something very big for you because God is big. Because our God does big things every single day and he uses everything in your life that he wants to build on. I want to, again, just welcome us to the week three here of Ruth. And we've been titling this series, Ruth, Little Story, Big God. What we've been learning in the first two chapters that we've spent time in this teaching series is that Ruth had a very seemingly small story to tell, but through it, we get to see how big and how great God is. She finds herself in very challenging scenarios, circumstances, and God continues to build into this woman this big story, this big thing that he's up to. Her small story is special to us because we're talking about it thousands of years later, and it's speaking to the very heart of what we go through today, what God wants to make as a big impact today. So this morning we'll be in Ruth chapter 3. That's where we're continuing on in this journey. And when we left Ruth in chapter 2, she was a worker, if you remember, in Boaz's fields. We had a little conversation about the flirtation going on and maybe some interest taking place between both of these two. And so this semi-flirtation, this introduction is taking place. Naomi who is Ruth's mother-in-law, has, has highlighted that Boaz has a special part to play in her story. And between chapters 2 and 3, time passes. There would have had to be some patience of what was going on because they're introduced and all of a sudden these, these feelings and emotions are going on. But what we find is that time has passed because chapter 2 says that she worked with them until the end of the barley harvest and she continued to work with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. So this would have been a period of several months bringing us into early summer, and we don't have any new information on this relationship. Where was it going? What was God going to do in these many months, in this dynamic? God wasn't in a rush because he was building something. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. 
Now, I want to take a quick moment and look at this word relative. Because a couple of weeks back in chapter 2, Ruth is coming back from working for Boaz the first time. And Naomi begins hinting at what is this family redeemer. And I think when we look at this and when we read the book of Ruth, sometimes we can get a little mixed up here because we're like, hold on. Is this a blood relative that Ruth is going to marry? Like, <laughs> we get antsy a little bit because it's like, is this a redneck situation that I'm about to, you know, engage with in the Bible? Like, what's going on here, right? We don't need to worry about this being a redneck situation. I get to marry a blood relative. Yay. No, no, that's not happening. This position would have been filled by a relative of her husband, Malon. Okay, now as we know, Malon's died. So you might have this whole line of guys that would have been on Malon's side, or you might have just had one. It, it would just depend. You could maybe have none at all, but this hero could only become necessary. They could only move and step into this position if there was a need. And if you remember, there's a need here going on. There's a need for Ruth because Malon, Chilion, and Elimelech, they're all dead. There is no child left to live on the family lane. Elimelech's legacy is going to die with Ruth and Naomi. There's no one to carry it on, so they need this relative, this family redeemer, to cause the husband's name to live on. So look what Naomi's saying here. Let's find you a home. I want you to be provided for, Ruth. Naomi wants what is best for her. She wants to, her to experience a full life, all that God has for her, and she doesn't want anything holding her back, verse three through six. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes and then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. And so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Now, before we get into the real meat here, all right, of what this book is saying, because this can be a little confusing for some of us as we sort of look upon this. Just some solid advice comes from Naomi here in verse 3. Ladies, if you need to have a deep emotional conversation with a man, just for the grace of God, let him have a little food first. Seriously. Just a little food, maybe a little drink. I don't know. But just, he, he needs to settle in sometimes to take on those emotional conversations. This is just biblical, right? Some food for the stomach, the emotional conversation. We're easy creatures, ladies, I promise you. We're such easy creatures. So just, just take that for what it's worth. Practical advice, that's what you get at Northern Hills. Naomi, she's continuing her wise counsel here. Get yourself clean. Get these designer duds on. Put your best foot forward because tonight's the night. You are going to tell him how you feel, and he will respond in kind. And Ruth responds to Naomi. What does she say? I will do everything you say. This may seem mundane. This may seem monotonous to your life. But God is building your story, and here's how you can know is that God's going to give you counsel. God is looking to give you counsel. I want to be really clear here. This passage is descriptive. It's not prescriptive, okay? So it's not telling you that, okay, to have this modern-day building block, you need to now go and lay at the feet of the most eligible bachelor you know, and that's how God's going to build into your life. 
But it does give us some very descriptive language. So as we look at Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, we can determine what can benefit us for our age. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but look at the whole process that's taken place in Ruth's life. Look at what God has done. It's been through the life of Ruth that we see him using an individual to intentionally speak into her life that has her best interest at heart, and that person's Naomi. Naomi is the person that led her to the Lord in the first place, that took her away from the pagan land of Moab, the, the, the place where she wasn't seeing any fruit in her life, that they were following false gods, and, and she's put her faith and trust in Naomi's God. She's been accountable to her. She's been accountable to God, learning from God. And something that needs to be crystal clear is she's saying, I want you to enter into what God has for you. She's not trying to get in the middle of God's work in this. I don't want you to back down from anything because God has a big plan for your life. And the Bible talks about foolish and wise counsel a lot about being careful and monitoring, monitoring, monitoring excuse me, who we listen to. And some of us, we've been listening to some voices that have honed in to our lives, that we've been taking the counsel, but we need to be shunning some of those voices and turning from their path. And Ruth chose wisely, she chose Naomi. Imagine for a moment if Ruth would have chose the counsel of Orpah. That was her sister-in-law that stayed in Moab. Imagine for a moment if she chose her counsel and, well, yeah, we should stay and this is what we're familiar with and we can worship false gods and do our thing and and live our lifestyle that we've already had. Well, how much of that lifestyle was bringing her fruit? How much of that lifestyle was seemingly answering her questions about her purpose or meaning in the world? She didn't listen to that voice because she wanted a different outcome for her life than where she was at. And listen to me, I don't think you're going to hear a truer statement, but the people that you listen to, they do determine the outcome of your life. They're a part in determining the outcome of your life. And so what voices are you listening to? Because God has placed voices in your life. Are you still listening to that voice that's from your teenage years? That's told you that you'd never amount to anything? I don't know where you got that voice from. I don't know that that came from someone that was very near and dear to your heart, but the message was the wrong message. Are you having an individual that's been in your ear that thinks that you can't, in God's power and God's guiding, accomplish some great things for God's kingdom? Have they been the voice that has been sort of setting you back or maybe holding you back from something? That can sometimes be one of the worst voices to listen to is, is, a, is a heartfelt person that's sort of saying, yeah, I don't know, does God really today? Can God do that in your life? Does he really want that for you? When you know and you're tr- trusting through the power of the Holy Spirit that's living in you and working in you that you're supposed to take some of these leaps for God, to take these steps in your relationship with God, what are the voices that you're listening to? Psalm 1, 1 through 4. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, 
and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. God is going to provide counsel in your life. And you need to be careful who you're listening to. Because who you listen to, they do determine the outcome of our lives. They literally set this course for our destiny. And you want to know why? Because I believe those that are speaking to you, they have, they have a way of already getting into maybe some of the voices that are already in our heads. Maybe the enemy is sometimes using that voice, and so we have to discern and be wise and count on God, lean into God's word to see what's truth and what's not. But sometimes those voices in our head actually shoot straight to our hearts. And what gets into your head easily gets into your heart. The voices in your head go straight to your heart. And so my question is, is as Psalm 1's describing, are, are you by a riverbank where you're feeling refreshed by the people that you are surrounding yourselves with? Do you feel like growth is happening? That fruit is making itself present in your lives because the people that, are listen, that you're listening to are steering that so far as our souls are concerned. I think those individuals that are saying, oh, it'll never work, or I was once like that too, but don't worry, you'll, 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 you'll see. I think they, their God gets smaller because their problems have gotten so big. And so God doesn't seem like he can or would want to accomplish anything. And so then that complacency ends up loving company. And so you must be by something that's refueling you, by a riverbank where your leaves will never wither and they prosper in all they do. What are those voices that are in your life? Because God is building into your story through that counsel and through those voices. Ruth chapter 3, 7 through 11, it says, So after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. And then Ruth came quietly, uncovering his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up, and he turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Again, some of us are engaging with this story a little bit and we're like, this is weird. I don't really understand this. Get decked out, get super pretty, hang out down as they get done with work, and then when they've eaten and fallen asleep, uncover his feet and lie there until he notices you, until he comes and, and, and you say, I love you, and this, this is just some bizarre stuff that's taking place here in the Bible. If you just read it there, and it's like, what's taking place? This is weird. Top five weird, maybe. But after threshing of the wheat, here's what was taking place, just to educate us. This is a gigantic party that's going on. See, it's marking the end of this whole period of gathering wheat. And so it would be this festive occasion, a feast. Invite the family, invite everybody. Massive barbecue worship service. Thankful for God and this bountiful harvest. Literally rejoicing on the threshing floor. They would sleep, catch this, with their heads on the grain pile and their feet outward. So if, imagine if you were viewing it top down, it was basically like a bicycle wheel, okay? And so you get the bicycle wheel, and, and basically they were, um, 
the spokes, okay? The hub was where their heads were at, the spokes is where their bodies were laying. These individuals would be just branching out. And so you get to the wheat and you go through these organs. So Boaz sleeping with the guys, they're all excited from this party, but it sets the stage for what Ruth is about to do. And as Ruth is progressing through the building of her story, she's what? She's supported the family. She's put herself in danger by working on the fields, but she's listened to the care of those around her, listened to that wise counsel, and now she's got a choice to make. Do I go put myself out there in front of Boaz to tell him all that I feel for him and do it in this very common way that that would be really well known to our people? And so she has a choice to make. And what we know about our choices is that many of our choices will come with risk. Every decision we make leads to a consequence. It leads to a consequence, good or bad. We can't control all the factors. She didn't know how Boaz would respond. She maybe had an idea because of that semi-flirtation that's taking place, but she didn't know what his real emotions would be, what he would say. This is the reality. Sometimes we'll put our hopes in something or we'll put our hopes in someone and with the choices we make, we put ourselves out there to be let down. But as God is building your story, he's going to give you choices. He's going to give you choices because this harvest that was in full bloom with Boaz celebrating, good spirits eating and drinking could still crush the heart of Ruth, even with that wise counsel that was coming from Naomi. Now, sometimes choices are just choices. I think we get caught up a lot of times in our lives where we're trying to discern the will of God, and sometimes there are really two good things he has laid out in front of us. And we're like, well, what's the will of God? And sometimes the will of God is like, make a choice. Make a decision because I have these two really good things for you, and, and, and guess what? I'm going to work. I'm going to be sovereign despite what choice you make, and so lean into this. Now, obviously, we know there's some very sinful choices that are going to harm ourselves and harm others versus the good choices that we make, but choices just sometimes are choices. But in this utter compromising situation with Boaz, Ruth would take a leap, and she'd show some courage. She'd sow some faith in that God she had made, number one, and God gave her this choice to make. I, I remember being on a whitewater rafting trip, and whitewater rafting's a blast. If you've never been, I would encourage you to go. You talk about making a choice to get your heart racing. It's definitely that, depending on what kind of water you get on. But I remember going, and I was with a group of students, and one of the students was going for the first time. And so the outfitter equipped them with the life jackets, and they go through the, you know, 30-minute rendition of all the rules and stuff. And I remember about 15 minutes in the what-to-do-just-in-case conversation, one of the first-time students, Jessica, was looking at me. And she had that look of like, what is going on? I just made the absolute wrong choice to do this. Well, <laughs> as, as God would have it, it was also gonna build into her fear that much more because as we took the bus to the place where they were letting go of the raft, it's actually right by the water. So she's getting to see these other rafts go down in this crazy white water. And so she's just building this trepidation, she's building this fear, and she's looking at me as she's looking out the window, looking back. And at one point, I love Jessica how she stated this. She said, when we get there, I'm not gonna to wanna to get in the raft. Make me get in anyway. And she said that because sometimes with our choices, we have to have a do it anyway kind of mentality. 
because we're trusting that God is the one who's giving us those choices and that he is going to work. See, doing, doing it anyway, that's the essence of courage. But I believe courage is the essence of what God wants to build into our character as he's building it. So it's willingness to move in a direction in spite of the emotions that would bid us to do otherwise. Now, notice now, courage wasn't the absence of fear for Jessica. She was afraid as all get out. And Ruth must have had some fears that would have been creeping in. We've all put ourselves in those situations with a something or someone. But a courage just allows you to strap that on. And then move into that space, doing it anyway. And I love what Tara said in the video this morning. Sometimes those choices are even just taking those small steps. Little choice by little choice by little choice. And what it grows in your heart is little hope, little more hope, little more hope in what God is up to. The women that Tara is working through are taking those baby steps. I'll I'll make this one, and then I'm going to make this one. And I didn't explode, and I didn't, my life didn't change so dramatically. I can have faith to take the next one. And so choices is what God is going to provide. And Ruth takes a choice. And on her way to the threshing floor, she pulls the blanket off his feet, and she just lies down. Now, you be, may be thinking, what a creeper, you know? What's she doing? But look at this for a second. What this would send, the message in this time, is that I submit to you, Boaz. I submit to you. Your feet are uncovered, and I submit myself in this basically biblical response to want to marry you, if you will have me, as God would have me lie here at your feet. And so we would basically see that Ruth is saying, if you'll have me, I'm yours, and she has that courage to make that choice. And of course, Boaz is startled. You would be too, laying on this cold wood. Your feet are already cold. He's surprised. And it's a bit comical to see this whole situation play out. Why, why are my feet cold? Where's my bunny rabbit slippers? You know, what's going on? And there's this woman sleeping at his feet. And here's how God's at work. Here's how he's building into the story. This beautiful moment takes place. And if you remember, if you remember when Boaz first meets Ruth, what does he speak over her? He prays over her. He speaks over her. May the Lord reward you as you come under his wings. And what Ruth is speaking to Boaz is his covering over her. See, she should suggest to Boaz that that prayer come to pass and that he take that place, that he would be the Lord's wings over her. Would you take me under your covering? She's proposing that he would propose to her. She's fully putting herself out there in this choice. This is what I'm thinking. If you're interested, redeem me, be mine. If you put a ring on it, I will say yes. And Boaz responds in kind you had me at hello. You had me at hello. I will do everything you ask. I've been watching you. I've been seeing your character. I've been seeing the courage you've already displayed. I've been seeing God building into you, and I want you to know that I will say yes because you know the Lord. I love that he speaks that over her again. The first words out of his mouth he finds for Ruth. Well, there's one problem, verse 12. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, Boaz says. There is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. See, there was a ranking in that position of family member, family relative, the redeemer I spoke about. So there could have been an older brother. There may have been a nephew that was closer in age. We don't know, but Boaz is saying he's going to go through 
what God wants him to, but there may be a person that has the right of first refusal. Verse 13, stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now not lie down here until morning. And so Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here on the, thresh, the threshing floor. I want what God's best is for you. Hmm, Naomi said that, and now Boaz is saying that. I put that first. And in saying he'll marry her, he invokes the strongest oath, as long as God lives. Well, how long does God live? Forever. And he's invoking this strong oath that one way tomorrow you will be redeemed one way or another. I will become your family redeemer or the one that's in their place will do that. But this had to be voluntary because there was not a way to opt out of it. He had to want to marry this girl and he's displaying, I see everything in you that would want me to take that step. And what I love about this in the mundane and in the monotonous and in the things we don't even see, God is doing something. God is up to a movement in Ruth's life and he's doing something in each of our lives. Just the last thought as God's building into your story is God's going to give you protection. God is giving you protection. Do you see what it says in verse 14 there? Ruth laid at his feet until morning. Translation, they didn't sleep together. Some of us read the book of Ruth and it debunks some suggestions that we'll hear from some commentators and whatnot, but it's pretty clear to me that they did not sleep together. Why wouldn't she have just been instructed to go home immediately? Well, because it was nighttime. Because there could have been some real evil men out looking for troublesome uh, opportunities on those city streets. It would have been a dangerous thing for Boaz to send her out at that point, keeping it a secret. He was trying to guard her reputation. He was trying to guard how people did view her as this virtuous woman, not even an appearance of evil. And so he instructs her to wait until morning. And so he's protecting not only just her purity because they didn't sleep together, but he's protecting her future. How many things go by in our daily lives where God is protecting us that we just don't see? That he's actually protecting our future, even though we might not know because what we see is God's absence or that maybe he's against us in some way because we lost the job. But maybe that was God's protection for us. Maybe you were supposed to lose that job. Well, I lost that promotion. Maybe the reframing of that is God wanted you to lose that promotion because he has something different for you because he knew what it would do to your spirit. He knew what, what drive it would focus on or what idol it would lean towards. Well, you know, I, I, I lost that house that I bid on or I lost that opportunity that I was looking so forward to something. God is protecting each and every one of us by sometimes the things we can't see. Ruth wouldn't have known maybe in that moment that he was doing all of those things to care for her purity, to care for her future, to care for her reputation. 
but God was using Boaz to protect her. So he gives us counsel, he gives us choices, and he gives us protection. What does that mean for us? I think it can mean a lot of things for us because some of all three of those areas are hitting us right in the gut in, in a sense of like, wow, God has been building into something in my own individual life. And some of us might just, one of those things might be standing out to us. Here's what I would say as really some simple next steps. When it comes to counsel, do you even have counsel? Do you have a wise voice in your life? I would suggest no matter what age you are, find someone that's 10 to 20 years older than you sometimes for that wise voice. That's not always going to be the case. But sometimes that 10 to 20-year-old, actually, they've lived a little more life. They have a little more experience. They've done a little longer with kids. They've done a little longer in marriage. And sometimes finding that wise counsel that's a little older than you is key. But where's your counsel come from? Who's your counsel? Are you keeping up with the latest, greatest podcaster and the person that's in your profession and it's that person that's of equal age or that person that's maybe a few years younger that's a genius and all, they have all of it? That's, that's not a bad thing. But maybe God wants you to walk the road with somebody that's been at it a little longer. Maybe he just wants you to walk some, with somebody on the road that's actually going to refresh you and be by water that's replenishing and not always negative and not always thinking the cup's half empty in your life. Who's your counsel? And when it comes to your choices, some of us have just got to take the leap because you've been sitting on that choice for a while. You've been sitting on that choice that God has prompted you and, and, and really communicated everything, not only through the wise voices you were listening to, but through his word, through your time spent with him, and you're just waiting you're waiting for this, the skies to open or something to happen that's going to be this glorious sign and all he's given you is the small mundane monotonous and said, go. And to show a little bravery around that, to step inside of that fear and say, I'm still going to have the fear, but I'm going to trust God with the results of that. Some of us just need to make that choice. Or like Tara was highlighting, just take a baby step and a baby step into the next choice the next choice, the next hope, the next thing that God's going to give me a little more to lean on, a little bit more to take comfort in. It's time to make a choice. And then, of course, for protection, I think it's obviously always looking at the opportunities where God might be doing something even in the midst of what seems like it's not the plan you had for your life. But I also wonder if God is calling us to protect someone. I believe and I trust that God is calling many in this room to be a Boaz in someone's life, to protect their heart. There's some of us in this room, you're in a relationship right now, and purity is not the thing you're protecting for one another at all. You're not protecting one another's purity. You're not married. You're living together, and you're making things work, and there's a lot of nuance and a lot of parts of the story that get into that, but you're not protecting one another's purity as God would have you. And so maybe you're supposed to be protecting one another in that. Some of us, we've been called to protect our kids in a certain way, and we're letting tablets and everything else drive their life. And I know this personally. It's easy to sometimes in the, in, the, in the stress of life and the craziness of life to let your kids escape to other things that are being the driving point of their life. And I am called to protect Camden. I am called to protect Elodie. That's what I do as their father. And some of us as parents, we've just sort of let the world 
dictate what's driving their lives instead of God and his provision and his protection. What are you supposed to be protecting right now? I think for all of us, like I said, there's one of these that stands out. But the beauty behind the story of Ruth and the beauty behind everything we've been in here for now three weeks together is that God is orchestrating a story through people. We don't hear from God at all. There's no instructions from God to Ruth that we get to read about. We just get to see him using people's lives, people's stories, the things that he's building into to tell a greater story. And the greater story is simply this, that God is going to give you a savior. You don't have to do this in of your own power. Because God gives us a Savior through Jesus Christ. What I love about this story, and maybe I just want to ask you this question. Maybe it's a question you've thought of. Maybe it's a question you've never thought of before. In this whole story that's been playing out in the book of Ruth, what's Ruth's role in redemption? What's her story of redemption, her role in redemption in all of this? The answer Her role is that she's being redeemed. That's it. She is the one being redeemed. That's her role. That's all she could do. Just ask for it and be redeemed because she's a foreigner. She was penniless. It was going to be about Boaz's choice if he wanted to, if he didn't want to. She could have been stuck. She was leaving it all up to God. She was leaving it up to Boaz at some level too. Only Boaz could do what he could do. I will do everything I can. Well, no. Naomi said, sit still, rest. You can't do anything. He, Boaz, is going to do it for you. So redemption comes when we just allow ourselves to be redeemed. And I, wanted, I just want to reveal something to each of us this morning. Here's the picture in picture I believe that we can leave with this morning. See, Jesus is Boaz, and we are Ruth. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't be purchased back into something by, by going to church this many times or, or reading our Bibles this many times. But we are in need of redemption because we have been slaves to sin, and so we need to be purchased back. And God wants to do that for each of us as he's looking to build into our stories hope and legacy. And he's using all the things that sometimes we don't see in the mundane and the monotonous, all those choices that are in front of us all that counsel we get to receive, all the protection he's providing even when we don't see it. But it's never us doing something because salvation is a gift and it's something we will never earn. Only Jesus Christ can redeem us. And so if that's you this morning, that you've never put your faith and trust in the one and only person that can redeem you, today is the day. And I would ask that you simply just pray this silently in your heart as I pray it aloud. Would everybody pray with me right now? For those of us that have not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I ask that you would pray this, that you would humble yourself at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Jesus Christ, and just simply say, I cannot fix myself, that I am broken, that I am penniless, 
God, I am a foreigner to your ways. But God, I need a redeemer. And I ask you to come in and to redeem me. Change my heart. Change my life. And Lord, I give you permission to change my whole world. The outlook I have and the refreshing source that I need to to have fruit in my life, to have purpose in my life, to have meaning in my life. Jesus, I invite you in to do your work. Would you come and be my redeemer? Would you come put your wing over me to protect me and make me new? And if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are in a relationship with Jesus that he is so excited to start. He's ready to take you to places and to build into your story in ways you've never seen before. For the rest of us, God, would you just help us understand that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are building something in each of us. And Lord, that even when it seems like just the simple, the small, God, you are so big You're so big to move in the life of Ruth and place these people and place place these situations and circumstances, all these things that you provided for her, you are providing for us, God. And so we lean into you, God, because we want a story where fear has no more future in our lives, where hopelessness has no more home in our lives, where death is, is not the end of our lives, God. And it's because of you, Jesus, that that's possible. It's because of you being the great redeemer that all of that's possible. And so we lift our hands and we lift our hearts and we see, we we lift our eyes to you, God, thanking you not only for what you've done in Ruth's life to make her story otherworldly, Lord, but how you want to do that same with ours, as small as we might seem to think it is. God, just build into us this week as we consider your word and what you're doing in our lives. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.